1: Welcome to the Fertility Life Raft podcast with me, Alice Rose. I am your transformative coach and mindset mentor, and I am really delighted today to welcome Alicia Burnett from Black Baby Loss Awareness Week you set up, and you're also a midwife, and you also work for Tommy's, and we met when we were both at the Fertility Show Live in London uh, back in May, it was, wasn't it?
0: Okay. Um
1: And I just felt so moved by your story and not just what you have personally experienced, but the work that you do now. So tell me if you are happy to share, just tell me a little about how you came into this world.
0: If I'm honest, during my midwifery training, the topic of um, infertility assisted conception wasn't really covered at all. And typically the first time a qualified midwife will encounter anybody unless they've been through fertility treatments themselves or they've got friends or family that are affected or anyone that works in that particular field is when you meet a pregnant woman who has become pregnant through assisted conception. And now that I work for Tommy's and I speak to so many women and their partners and their, their mothers and their grandmothers who have been through a fertility journey and are either experiencing pregnancy loss or the failure of an IVF cycle. Now that I'm having to interact with these people, I really wish I knew more. I'm learning as I go. They're a very um, well-informed group of people. They teach me new things every single time I have a phone call. What's that drug called? I'll have, I'll look it up. What's that procedure called? I'll look it up. I wish I knew more or I'm learning more every day. And that's how I came into the space professionally, knowing a bit about um, fertility and how it affects um, someone's journey towards becoming a parent or sometimes not becoming a parent at all. Mm
1: -hmm. My
0: own personal experience, I will talk about because that's how you met me, because Mm -hmm. I was at the Let's Talk Fertility panel and I was sharing my experience of baby loss and how I coped. So when I was a student midwife, I fell pregnant in my first year. I was ecstatic to be pregnant. We'd been trying, but when I went for my 12-week scan, we received a devastating diagnosis and the doctors weren't able to say whether or not my baby would survive, what care he would need after he was born. There was just no definitive answers. We were offered termination, but because there was that element of the unknown, I just didn't feel comfortable. I know that um, termination for medical reasons is a decision that many, many, many parents have to make It's not a choice that anybody wants to make, but I didn't feel like I had enough information to make that decision. I couldn't make an informed choice. So I continued with my pregnancy. Every single scan, I would read the scan report and they would say, um, Alicia knows there was a risk of stillbirth. Every single scan report said the same thing and it was just very depressing. But um, I had my little boy in November of 2017 and he was my sunshine. He had these big brown eyes and they were the exact color of Cadbury's chocolate. They were just, when he looked at you, just sunk into his eyes. He had the longest eyelashes, long little fingers and toes. He was absolutely beautiful. Unfortunately, they were unable to keep him alive longer than six months. So in May, 2018, he passed away in my arms. At this point, I'd been on maternity leave for my midwifery studies. And I remember standing in the stairwell of Great Ormond Street with huge tears running down my face, just unstoppable. There was nothing I could do to stop these tears falling. And I was on the phone to my course tutor saying, Helen, he's gone. I want to come back to the course. There's nothing left for me now because I was no longer his mother. I had nothing. I had nothing to live for. So I went back to my training and I went back to my midwifery training with just like a new set of eyes. We were talking, that we'd be talking about um, screening or we'd be talking about the scans that women are offered in pregnancy. And I was no longer seeing them as this coochie, coochie, coo, I'm going to get to see my baby thing. It was uh, every single scan you go to, potentially you could receive devastating news. When we're offering screening, we need to be very clear that we are offering it's not a diagnosis. If there is anything that's flagged up, you will have to be offered diagnostic options. But screening could find something. It's not a trivial thing. And I mm. think we trivialise a lot of the interventions that are offered. So I went back to my mode of free training with a whole different, I was a different person.
1: What was his name, your baby? Mikaya. Mikaya, thank you so much for sharing him with us and I I'm just so sorry that you experienced that loss um So there was a couple of things you said there that you know you went from feeling like you had nothing to live for to being able to return to your midwifery studies but with this new feeling you said you felt kinder, you felt more compassionate. Tell me a little bit more about what got you from nothing to live for to actually being able to return, to what you were doing in the first place?
0: I felt like if I couldn't hold my boy, I wanted to support other people on their journeys to hold their own babies. I couldn't think of anything else that would honor his memory more. I've always been a person that, if you're marginalized or minoritized for any reason, I tend to gravitate towards those people. So I used to work as a nursery nurse and um, the little children that had uh, maybe a learning disability or anything else, they were my favorite. The ones that didn't get as much attention they were my favorites because they were special there's something about you there's something about me let's go and play in the sandpit and when i was a children's nurse my favorite babies were the babies that had life-limiting or life-threatening conditions the ones that were long-term admissions and their parents weren't always there there was one little boy in particular i used to wash his hair He used to do the shampoo and the conditioner and then wrap his head in this little, the little turban thing that we do. And his mum would come in and see and she'd be like, oh, he's really well looked after here. And I was like, yeah, he is. Because Mm -hmm. everybody deserves that extra love and attention. Everybody, everybody. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to um, my midwifery studies, I paid particular attention to the women that have had IVF, the women that have had pregnancy loss the women that have had an antenatal diagnosis, the women that have unexpectedly had a baby with complications that weren't picked up antenatally. I guess it kind of brought me back to who I am as a person. There's a lot of focus on normality and straightforward pregnancies and stuff, but life isn't straightforward and we need to give as much attention to the families that encounter complications as as much as we do to parents and families that don't have any complications and it's not about labelling people high risk it's about looking at what's happened to you in your past how did you get here what journey have you been on been on to be in front of me right now I'm listening to you I want to hear and how can I how can I walk with you on your journey
1: oh god I just wish all <laughs> midwives um have you know had that insight and I think What you said at the beginning there is that actually right now there isn't any training for midwives on what some women have already been through by the time they come to their booking in appointment, for example. Um, Which I know, you know, from the women that I support, if they do get pregnant and then they end up a lot of them the anxiety is through the roof you know so by the time they get to that booking in appointment they really do need exactly what you said someone to hear them and to see them and to listen to where they've come from and that that's a challenge right like in the NHS and um, here in the UK that's difficult so it's a quite a big ask I suppose for our midwives to kind of give that extra care and attention but it's possible isn't it
0: that's where Tommy's comes in and not just Tommies, there are so many different organisations that have support groups, lit- literal pregnancy after loss support groups on Facebook, and you can find them through Instagram, social media. There's Tommy's. there's the Miscarriage Association, there's SANS. I don't think we do a better and good enough job of signposting to existing support services. Yes, we're time limited in the NHS, but um, handing out a flyer for Tommy's for SANS, signposting to, the, in, to their websites It takes a few seconds. And a lot of these charities do a really good job of translating their resources into different languages. Pregnancy after loss, I don't really know how to describe it. You want to be pregnant, you want to have a baby so, so much. And when you do have a positive pregnancy test, the thing you've wanted so much has happened. But you haven't, you've just started, you've been through so much already. And that positive pregnancy test is just the the start of another journey and Mm -hmm. you've got to get to the end. And day by day, week by week, you're anxious. You're stressed about everything. You're worrying about what happened before. What can you do to make this a successful pregnancy? Um, I've got a query, who do I call? And the gap between receiving fertility treatment and then entering maternity services is, fertility services, they're really tightly woven, well-organized, as far as I know. You receive a lot of attention individualized care and then you get pregnant and sometimes there's nothing until you see your midwife at eight to ten weeks
1: exactly so what happens a lot in my um the support where we have in, inside my membership in fertility life raft is that lots of people do get pregnant we keep all of the pregnancy support separate from the main space to keep to keep everyone feeling completely safe at whatever stage of their journey they're at um but what we see is that a lot of people in our pregnancies- support group are a bit lost because there's they, they they've they kind of graduated yeah. um, they may have been through fertility treatment they may have um, got pregnant in some other way they might have act- actually fallen pregnant naturally but either way they've sort of gone through this really challenging season and then they're in this other chapter and then they kind of go oh now what happens and that's that can be a really difficult period of time and I'm I'm very conscious just that most people listening to this podcast are still trying to get pregnant. So mm-hmm. they, you know, and what we don't want to do here is kind of alarm anyone and say, you know, oh, you're trying to get pregnant, then it's going to be really, really hard after that. It's not necessarily going to be that experience. But what, what I think we are trying to say is that there are so many places where you can access the specialist support that is really important to, to, to kind of suit that nervous system and know that whatever happened in your journey, there are people who are ready and waiting to um, help you navigate every single step. And that that sense of community as well, and that sense of being a part of um, something while you're in the fertility world, while you're in the pregnancy after loss, but also pregnancy after fertility treatment world, um, you know, if you haven't been through a miscarriage, those kind of um, nuanced experiences need specialist support, don't they?
0: That is exactly it. There are support services and professionals out there. It's just they're not typically well signposted. So you have every person I speak to pretty much um, when I'm on the phone at Tommy's is, do you know what an early pregnancy unit is? And overwhelmingly, the answer is no, like 50% do, 50% don't. So I spend a lot of time signposting to early pregnancy units, which are services for any anyone that's having a complication in early pregnancy. These complications can include bleeding, um, if you've had a previous, mis- a previous loss, which can be a miscarriage, it can be a stillbirth, it can be a late miscarriage, any loss that you've had, if you require any treatment such as progesterone, the early pregnancy unit is a hub of professionals that specialise in supporting women during early pregnancy. So you've got doctors, nurses, sometimes midwives, not typically. You'll have sonographers. You can get a scan there, blood test. That is the place. You can also go to your GP, which is a good idea anyway, because a lot of the time your GP needs to refer you to an early pregnancy unit. You can go to A&E, and I would recommend that if you were having any complications that you couldn't manage yourself at home or your GP couldn't manage. Um, you have Facebook groups, you have podcasts that are tailored to people that are experiencing pregnancy after loss or after fertility treatment. There is a community out there that is waiting to embrace you. There are professionals out there that whose literal job it is, is to support you at this time in your life. And I just wish everybody knew there need to be huge, gigantic billboards saying, this is what an early pregnancy unit is. This is for you. Alice, you need your face on a billboard somewhere.
1: (laughs) I think we all, we we kind of all do, don't we? I think this is, I actually find it really frustrating because at every stage, all I hear, especially, you know, if I hear people talking about fertility in mainstream media, which we do a lot at the moment, I think this keeps coming up in the podcast, um, but often the, the the response is there's not there's no support, there's no support. And I, I kind of want to shout that there is actually, there is support. Yes, there are charities and also things like the Life Raft, you know, which I run is really affordable, really accessible, specialised, tailored, expert support. You know, there's Tommy's, there's all these places where people really do know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, also to say, like with the EPU, the early pregnancy unit, you know, you can just go there if you're feeling anxious as well right like you can you you don't necessarily need to to see any physical um, evidence of something that you feel worried about you you can go if you feel anxious and you just need to go for a reassurance scan they will see you so and for people who have been through any kind of difficult road to getting to that point um, whether it includes a, a pregnancy loss or not they are often going to be anxious not everyone i have to say like some people get pregnant and they're like brilliant here we go and it's absolutely fine so it's important to say that too um so just you know keeping that kind of open mindset to let's see what happens but at the same time having that awareness that there are places that are waiting for you to 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 support you um tell me a bit more about why we need black baby loss awareness week
0: so I'm going to go back and go back again quickly to my midwifery training in my second year i became aware that black mothers here in the uk were at the time five times more likely to die during pregnancy or the first year after birth and that was really shocking to me because i wasn't aware of the racial health disparities um, that were affecting black women and birthing people and then i had my own loss and then i thought about okay we know that black mothers are dying what about their babies and then I looked into that and it was just this like a doom spiraled a little bit because I found that black babies are more likely to be born extremely premature. So prematurity has like um ranges. So you can be near-term premature, which is around 36 weeks, you can be moderate prematurity, and then you can have extreme prematurity, which is around on the being on the cusp of viability. And black babies are more likely to be born in the extremely premature range black babies are more likely to be born stillborn and black mothers are more likely 43% more likely to experience miscarriage. Gosh, Those statistics
1: are unbelievable aren't they?
0: Yeah and just this month um, Embrace released some um, statistics that ranged from I think up to 2021 so I think they um, cover like a a three-year range each report, and this was up to 2021. And the findings were that black babies have the highest stillbirth and neonatal death rates. I ran Black Baby Loss Awareness Week for the first time this May, and this um, report was released in September this year. And I just thought, (laughs) if anyone ever asked me ever again, why do we need Black Baby Loss Awareness Week? This is why the statistics don't lie. They just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again and nothing is changing. There are no government targets. Another reason is that now that I work for Tommy's, I work on the service for Black and mixed Black heritage women and a lot of the time they have experienced loss and they haven't had access to the services that you and I know about. Mm. Generally, there is a lack of awareness of early pregnancy units and the support that's available, but I'm finding that particularly so for black communities. So I've had my own loss, I now work for Tommy's, I now know about the statistics, I had to do something. So I created Black Baby Loss Awareness Week as an awareness event to raise black communities awareness of the professionals and support services that exist to support you after pregnancy and baby loss. There are some fantastic um, organizations that are raising awareness of maternal mortality within black communities, but I felt that there was a gap I thought there was a a gap of raising awareness for mortality rates amongst black babies and what support there is when this does Mm. happen.
1: Oh, the statistics are really shocking. And I think that you're absolutely right. There's no one so far had joined up that gap that is is now being filled by what you're doing. And what was the response like when you ran it for the first time
0: this year? Overwhelming, (laughs) absolutely overwhelming, because it's just me. And this was just a thing. I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I haven't actually been speaking about my bereavement for very long. It's been around six years now and I only started speaking about my son publicly last October. Getting used to speaking about my bereavement publicly has been, it's been tough. It's been tough. I'm getting better. But every time you talk about your pregnancy loss or your baby loss, it does take its toll. And after I ran um, Black Baby Loss Awareness Week, I needed to take a good month off just, just to be with my family and to do things that I love, because it was really hard. I spoke in Parliament the first day of it. So on the 15th of May, um, Tommy's and Sands Joint Policy Unit, they launched a report, so the baby, Saving Babies Lives report. And it was basically looking at every intervention that's been put in place to save babies' lives and whether or not it's working so they launched that report in parliament and I spoke in parliament and I told that room full of people about my son, about my ectopic pregnancy after my son and why we need Black Baby Loss Awareness Week. And it was a very hard thing for me to do, but I thought and I felt that I was in the room with the right people to hear my message. Um, And I did a load of Instagram Lives during the week with uh, representatives from different um, baby loss um, charities and I had a live with two women who have experienced baby loss. Doreen has experienced multiple miscarriages and I also spoke to Yvonne who experienced the stillbirth of her beautiful baby girl Nasia. The whole week was very emotionally charged, of course it would be, but it was so important and the engagement. I couldn't keep up with my DMs <laughs> from people that have had similar experiences who had been yearning this type of community who had felt alone who didn't know what services were what services were available and I thought this is what I wanted to do you are the people I wanted to reach and I also do a lot to promote the support service for black and mixed black hosted women that I've, that's run by Tommies because I know from personal experience and professional experience that it's a service that is sorely sorely needed. What
1: I was really pleased to hear you say is that you kind of took that month off after running it because you recognize that actually I need to kind of retreat now and it's something I think people going through a really difficult time also need to be conscious of it's like whatever you're doing to process your experience and for you this is a different kind of thing because it's actually talking about things really publicly and doing you know offering so much of yourself to make things better for other people is a is a it's a huge gift that you're offering to the be- country into the society that needs to to hear this and needs to change but it's really you know our this podcast is all around how we take care of ourselves and what what goes in our life for us you know and to understand that sometimes we need to retreat and we need to give back to our own you know wellness is absolutely crucial isn't it to be able to keep going and to be able to keep you know doing what you're doing can i ask what helped you through your own bereavement in those early days what was it that actually kind of helped you to to process what had happened.
0: This is another reason actually, the support I received is another reason I um, founded that Baby Loss Awareness Week because I got all the support. Mm-hmm. While my son was in um, NICU, I had access to a clinical psychologist. We had a family liaison nurse. There was a chaplain who would come around and sit by his bedside and talk to him. We got to take him to a hospice. So we got to spend some time with him after he had passed away. I was really fixated on. I wanted to get him home. I wanted to spend at least a night alone with him while he was alive. And that never got that never happened. I always wanted to take him for a walk in his buggy. That never happened while he was alive. But when we went to the hospice, we got to spend the night together. And I got to take him in a buggy around the gardens. And there were these beautiful, beautiful, vibrant red flowers. And I got to, I got to at least have that. When you get pregnant, there are all these things, these images that you see of yourself doing with your happy, healthy baby and your happy, healthy mum, all the idyllic things, going for walks, first steps, and I felt robbed of all of that. Oh, I've never I've never said that to anybody. I felt robbed of all of that. But I was I was able to access those experiences in at least some way because of the support I had. The hospice was fantastic. The room was beautiful, decorated with butterflies. There was really nice warm bedding because the room had to be kept cold, but we were nice and warm. The staff were amazing. They made some jewelry for us featuring his fingerprint. So that was amazing. His funeral was beautiful. I don't know who was staffing the NICU that day because there were so many nurses from the NICU that were there because he was there for six months. So um, they felt like family. I remember mm. going to visit him on Christmas Eve. And I looked into his cot and he wasn't there and I panicked. Then I looked onto the sofa that was next to his cot and there was a nurse holding him. She was a beautiful Irish nurse, lovely red hair. Her name was Quinn and he was He was her favourite, I know it. Whenever she was on shift, she would have him and she would always coo at him and he'd, he loved her, always smiling at her. And she was holding him and talking to him on Christmas Eve. And I've got this. The situation's awful, but this is the best I could have asked for to come in and see this happening. So that really helped. The nurses were amazing. My mum loved this little boy. You know that grandparents love their grandkids. Yeah, I know. But you can have a challenging relationship with your parent. But once they become grandparents, either they stay the same or they change. They melt, they soften. And his first smile was for my mum. I remember she came to visit him and she would get on a bus and she'd sit on the bus for like, I don't know, at least an hour after work. She worked in the NHS as a nurse. So she'd do a shift as a nurse, go home, pick up bits and then get on the bus, sit on the bus for an hour to come and see her grandson. And his first smile was for her. They loved each other so much. (laughs) She really, really, really loved him. And I remember at his funeral, we become adults, but we still crave the, the validation and of our parents we, we do we can be like well into our adulthood and still get any bit of praise from our parents were like ah so <laughs> at his funeral she stood up there and she said some, some really beautiful words and she said she turned to me she said you've really grown up I've seen you really grow up through this mm-hmm. and that was like a really proud moment for me because there were some really difficult decisions that I had to make during his life and I was there for him I was his rock I never knew what I'd be like as a mum, but when I was his mum, I was his rock. Any decision that needed to be made, don't brush over everything. I want to know exactly what's going on. I feel like sometimes healthcare professionals cannot kind of infantilize you a little bit,
1: mm-hmm. want to
0: shield you from the very worst. But actually, we are here, we are the advocates for our children. So we need to know all the information there is to enable us to make a decision. So, yeah, I had to make a lot of difficult decisions, and that was acknowledged by her, and that meant a lot. I was offered bereavement counselling from the hospice. I was offered bereavement counselling from the hospital, Great Ormond Street. And I was a student midwife at the time. My cohort, every now and then you get a batch of student midwives that are just, they just mesh really, really well. They were lovely. I didn't have a baby shower because I knew that he was going to be born very unwell and I was really discouraged by my family. Don't buy any clothes, don't buy a cot, don't buy anything. You don't know what's gonna happen. You may not even bring them home. And that was really rubbish. <laughs> I was really like, should I even tell anyone that I'm pregnant, but I can't hide it because I'm clearly pregnant. Um, This is very awkward. How do I navigate this? They threw me a mother blessing. So they all mm-hmm. snuck around, got in loads of food, said these really nice things to me, gave me some bits for him. And then when he passed away, I sent them a long email and they responded with chocolates and flowers and DMs and WhatsApps and they were just so lovely and my lecturers were lovely so I received almost as much love as I did pain at that time there was almost it was almost in balance and a lot of people don't get that when there when there's a huge imbalance of love to pain your recovery and I call it a recovery. You never really recover, but I don't know what else to call it. The way you can you continue your life, your ability to continue your life, to thrive, not just survive, really does hinge on whether or not you receive a balanced or near-balanced amount of love to pain during that time. And I was lucky.
1: Gosh, that's quite amazing because, you know, you've just told me some of the what I'm sure must have been pretty much the hardest time of your life, and actually what I heard was – so many beautiful things. So many beautiful things. Like from the, you know, the detail of picturing you just walking around and those flowers and the room and the warm bedding. It just everything you've just shared with me first made me feel kind of like I can feel that that's the love that you received. And oh it's made me well up. But the I think that's what's missing so much in the in the support that we 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 need women and men to receive, you know, when they go through loss like this is that recognizing that we we really must acknowledge it. And, you know, that's why talking about it on podcasts like this, writing about it, you know, doing your awareness week, which is so needed, um, having the support of the charities and that, you know, all of this stuff is absolutely crucial for recovery. And I think that probably is the right word, because it, it's, an, uh, you know, I, I hear you, you know, you don't quite recover, but it's, it's that kind of path that you've been on, you know, from that incredibly difficult time to where you are now. Mm -hmm. And you have, you know, you have moved through that, you have grown through that. So really, what needs to be in people's life for us at this point is a lot of it needs to be external love that they receive, isn't it? And what I would say as well is that you do, you seem to be quite a peaceful kind of person. Is that something (laughs) that people say to you? Like, do you, are you do you, have you somehow found a peace with what happened?
0: Yes, because the healthcare professionals were honest with me. They didn't hide things from me. I was really and truly involved in decision making and understanding why the decisions were made. They explained the rationale for, for everything. And the hospice really really helped. I don't like phrases like pregnancy remains and products of conception and I feel like the way we handle any pregnancy loss if there is any physical product the way they are handled they need to be handled sensitively because you hold somebody's dreams I don't like the language we use around that and because I got to take him to the hospice he was a baby he was referred to as a baby not as the patient or anything like that i was referred to as mummy his mum the language we use can really around pregnancy loss baby loss can really help or hurt and you need to make sure that you know um, a woman that's experienced a loss does she want to be referred to as mummy, or mother or her name it's also individualized and personal Um, And I'm at peace because I got to see, I got to spend that time with him in the garden. I got to spend that night with him. I got to have the music I wanted played at his funeral. Another thing, he's buried in Epping Forest. So my older sister, she lost two beautiful girls and he's buried in the same part around the corner from them in Epping Forest. So I imagine that they're playing. Mm. They spend time together a really, really beautiful location. I feel like anywhere where children and babies are buried needs to be beautiful and close to nature. He's buried under a willow tree next to a little boy named Zebedee, just beautiful. Another thing, reason I'm at peace is because I've had, I've gone on to have a daughter after him. So after I lost him, I had an ectopic pregnancy, which was a real whirlwind. Because nobody knows what an ectopic pregnancy is, I don't. It wasn't even explained to me that this is what was happening. I had to like figure that out for myself, and then I went on to have my daughter, and her, that pregnancy was super high risk. I was on progesterone. I was in hospital for six weeks. She oh. decided to try and make her way into this world at twenty five weeks. They were talking about wrapping her in cling film, putting a cannula in her umbilical cord. And in the end, she was in, I was induced because she stayed in there until 41 weeks and then didn't want to come out. So I've gone on to become a mother to a living child. And that was the last thing for me because after losing him, I felt like a ghost. I felt like a half person. I didn't really talk about him because people just don't understand. They either want to know lots and lots and lots of detail to go and gossip about you that did happen to me I was gossiped about when I was a student midwife and that was horrible or they just shut down when you tell them I don't think I really met anyone that was like oh I'm so sorry and then that was it that's all you need you don't need someone to be you don't need to carry someone else's emotional baggage because <laughs> it's really heavy your own yeah. baggage is really heavy it's heavy enough so yeah having my daughter she was very healing for me the mm. first year was rough. So I lost my son at six months and getting to six months with her, I was just a bag of nerves, yeah. checking if she was breathing. We had two nightlights because one wasn't enough. Mm. I wanted to be able to really, really see her. Mm. Um, got to six months, I thought, okay, this might actually work out. Then got to a year and I got to celebrate the first year with my with a child of mine, a first birthday. And then I relaxed. After her first birthday, I'm like, okay, you're not you're not going anywhere then. Being pregnant felt like an there was an impermanence to it. I couldn't really sway whether it was going to go well or not. And then when she was born, I couldn't sway whether or not that was going to go well. I could do my best, but life had taught me that actually you've got limited control. But then after she turned one, I'm like, you know what? You've got this. This is okay. This is happening. She's yeah. yours. She's here to stay it's so lovely to
1: hear what you have received throughout such difficult difficult and deeply painful experiences but you know that love and support that you received is what i'm taking from this conversation and what i hope that you know and, and i know that this will be a, a difficult lesson for um, a lot of a lot of people but there's also so much beauty in these conversations like to to you know we've never sat and had a conversation Um, like this before but instantly I just feel like there's something amazing about speaking to women and just connecting on a level and really hearing what they've experienced you know and that's kind of amazing and gives out this kind of ripple effect of you know we can connect and we can feel that warmth and love that can be um, experienced, and we need to have these conversations. We need to have awareness, and it, things will change because people like you have seen that, that we've. This needs to change, and we will continue to do the work to make sure. At some point, hopefully next year, you know there'll be some sort of government targets or whatever it is that you hope to achieve with Black Baby Loss Awareness Week. You know things at some top level will shift and and things will change. That's that's my, you know my maybe naive um, but optimistic hope <laughs> that we we do see change happen. But it's because of people like you, Alicia, that is you know that you've been through this and you're deciding to to share it with the world. So you know, just thank you, really. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, it's been a real honour to hear uh, about everything that you've been through. Um, is there anything that you would like to say to people listening to this podcast now, if they've been through loss, if they need support, what would you say?
0: Firstly, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. But there is a community out there in different guises, whether it's via social media, Facebook, there are support groups, podcasts, there are professionals, there are Charities like Tommy's, so Tommy's has, as I mentioned earlier, the Specialist Support Service for Black and Mixed Black Heritage Women, but in general, Tommy's have a midwifery team that you can call Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. You can also send us emails and we'll get back to you within those same hours, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. We have a private Facebook group. If you want to be um, admitted to that, pop us an email. We'll happily signpost you to that. There's also the Miscarriage Support Tool that Tommy's launched last November. And basically you input information about yourself. So it's very specific to you and it generates a likelihood of your next pregnancy being successful. And it also signposts you to different professionals and support, There is support out there. It's just, the world doesn't like to talk about these things. You do have to find people like Alice Rose. You do have to hopefully meet someone that will signpost you. It's down to luck. And I'm hopeful that very soon, at some point, it won't be down to luck anymore because people will recognise that this stuff's just too important for everyone not to know about. Absolutely,
1: thank you so much. Um, people can find you on Instagram, can't they? I think it's at midwife underscore Alicia. Is that right? Yes.
0: That's, okay. that's Yes, that's that's why I always get that wrong myself. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't forget the underscore. Um, so yeah, go and follow Alicia online. Um, she is so warm and so kind. And I just think what you're doing is incredibly important. So thank you so much for being with us on the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.